0: Daily life can bombard us with worries. Questions of what if swirl around our hearts and minds and leave us distracted and unsure of tomorrow. These what if questions embody our worry, our stress, our fears. But instead of asking what if out of worry and anxiety for the future, God invites us to ask the question, what if with expectancy and faith in Him? The God of the universe can move mountains and place stars in the sky. And so today, let's ask... What if? Good morning. Oh, you guys are too kind. Man, you're a good-looking group of people. Man, turn to the person next to you and say, you're good-looking. In fact, I think you got better-looking from last week. It must be all the sunshine. It's Labor Day. If you're a parent, your kids are going back to school this week. How many kids are already back to school? Are some, any in the room, no? Some are, right? Yeah, that's why you're smiling this morning, aren't you? Oh, that's great. Well, uh, I'm Gareth, and man, I'm super thrilled to be with you this morning. And uh, we were here a month ago, and we didn't come and then quit, just so that you know. Uh, but we were here and uh, we wanted to take some time to get to all of the campuses. As you know, we're one church that meets in three locations one in Sandy and Vancouver and here. And so we took some time over the last month just to uh, go out to Sandy and uh, we went over to Vancouver last week. And in between, I moved my son to New York City. And, uh, and I've moved both my son and my daughter to the East Coast this year, so there must be a trophy or something for this guy and, uh, and his wife, but uh, we, we, uh, we got him moved and settled, and then this week, of course, if you didn't see on the news, there was a massive storm that hit New York City, and uh, he was downtown and uh, going to class, and it was 10 p.m., he gets out of class, and the subway's not running, the buses aren't running, it's a three-hour walk to his apartment, which is still in Manhattan. And uh, there's no Ubers. And wouldn't you know, God provides a miracle. And about 1 a.m. in the morning, He's able to secure an Uber and get home. Can you imagine how we were feeling this week as parents? <laughs> it was one of those weeks. But uh, He got home safe. So, but uh, we're just thrilled to be with you. And uh, boy, we've got an exciting fall together. There's so many exciting plans. And Aaron already mentioned that we've got kind of a welcome home fall kickoff happening September 19th. Uh, we've got all kinds of plans for kids. And youth. Uh, we're making some investments into some of those spaces, and there's some exciting things that are going on. Uh, there's going to be a marriage thing this fall, and there's what else? We've got worship, tryouts, and kids' ministry. All kinds of stuff going on. And then on the 26th, we're actually going to hold a special uh, service in the evening uh, for our congregation, but there's also going to be other churches and uh, pastors and leaders kind of coming together to celebrate kind of some marker moments for our church family together. It's going to be a fantastic fall together. And I hope that you're not just here, but I hope that you're calling your friends, DMing them, texting them, saying, hey, come to ALC with me this weekend, right? Right? Uh, because we're a place that uh, obviously we want people to experience the life of Jesus. Amen, amen. Well, listen, we are diving into a new series today, and uh, I want to get into the Word of God this morning, and uh, we're going to spend some time over in First Peter. And so, if you've got your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, you can flip there. And uh, it's really important. I think it's important for us to follow along with the Word of God because how many of you know we're going to do a little bit of work out of the Word of God this morning? But how many of you know the Word of God does work in our hearts, doesn't it? And uh, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time allowing the word of God just to speak to us this morning, but as we start this series, uh, we've been thinking uh, as a staff, and I've been thinking and praying and just kind of con- conversing with the staff and just kind of praying about the fall, and uh, it's, it's so often true, isn't it, that we, we find ourselves in those moments where we ask the question, what if? Now, now you might never do it out loud, right? Right? But inside, as you're kind of processing and thinking, you ever been in one of those seasons where you kind of look back and you go, well, what if I had, right? And uh, what if uh, that had happened? Or what if that hadn't have happened? Or what if I try something and I fail, right? And, uh, and it's one of those things in life that as we process and think, oftentimes we can look back. And as I was considering it and thinking about this question, this idea of what if, Oftentimes, in fact, maybe more often than not, as human beings, what we tend to do is we tend to kind of spin into kind of a worst-case scenario or a negative scenario, don't we, when we think of what if? As I mentioned earlier, I, I moved my kids to New York City, one to New York City, one to D.C. this year. And it was interesting as I was getting ready to move them, they're super excited, they're bold, they're brave, they're pursuing Jesus and the plans that he has for their life. But what was interesting was the closer and closer we got to moving, and then when we actually moved, there were all of these what-if questions that came up. Man, what if I'm making a mistake? What if this doesn't work out? What if I don't get along with my roommates? What if I pick the wrong program? What if I fail? What if I never make any friends, right? Have you ever been in a scenario like that? You ever been in a moment of life where, man, it's maybe a quiet moment, maybe it's a dark moment, maybe it's a foggy moment in life, and you go, what if? Well, as I started thinking about it, and I started thinking about the kingdom of God, because as human beings, we don't tend to wake up and go, what if it works out? What if I have more friends that I know what to do with, right? What if everything just goes clickety-boo and everything's wonderful, right? Right? We don't tend to wake up and think that way. As human beings, we tend to wake up and kind of think, what if the worst-case scenario happens? But the reality of the kingdom of God is that God doesn't operate in a world of limitation where what if spins in a negative way. God operates in a world of possibility, doesn't he? And what if, in the kingdom of God, what if it led to something beautiful? something faith-filled something of a kingdom dynamic that's what this series is about it's designed to kind of help us pull the lid off of our thinking which oftentimes goes in a negative or worst case scenario type direction and get us to think what if god was in control what if i partnered with god and his kingdom what might happen that's the purpose of this series and so we're going to take some time each week to answer questions um, just around some what-if type questions. I was reminded as I was just in my devotions this morning, I was reading actually in Matthew chapter 19, 26, it says this, it says, with man, this is impossible, but you know the verse, with God, all things are possible. What if it was possible? And so today, I wanna look at one question Simply this, what if you and I as followers of Jesus Christ could live with certainty in the midst of uncertainty? What if you and I could live with certainty in the midst of uncertainty? Now let me ask you this question. In fact, if you have a pad of paper or you want to make a mental list, I want you to make a list right now of things in your world, in your life, that are a sure bet. What things are certain? What things are, man? You can just you can take it to the bank. You know what's going to happen. I want you to think about some things in your life that are absolutely, positively, for sure, going to happen. Let's think about it. Uh, Retirement. Your plans for retirement. What about jobs and health? What about your investments? Right. Your your retirement plans. Those kinds of things. One of the things that has just raised its head again this week is Will Costco have Clorox wipes and toilet paper? <laughs> Come on, you've felt the pain over the last 18 months, haven't you? You know, some of you are, and I, I've got some on, on the staff that are, man, they're big Seahawks fans. And is it a sure bet that the Seahawks are actually going to make it to the playoffs this year? <laughs> oh, we got a few believers in the room this morning. I see, that's good. That's good. I'm a Packers fan, so I am believing the... Oh, we got some Packer fans in the room. That's awesome. Well, you know that's a sure bet, right? That we may or may not, you know? Uh, you know what is a sure bet is that the New York Jets are not making the postseason for the 25th year in a row or something, right? But, but you probably agree with me that there's not a lot of things in life that are a sure bet. There's not a lot of things that are absolutely certain. There's not a lot of things that you can take to the bank. And perhaps even in this last season, this last 12, 18, 24 months, maybe for you personally, but certainly for us collectively as a a culture, if there's anything that we've learned, it's that life is uncertain, isn't it? that life is fragile, that life is vulnerable, that, man, the plans that we made didn't kind of work out the way that we thought they were going to work out. And, and every week, every month, there's something new that we're having to respond to or we're having to deal with or we're having to address. We're having to figure out as a culture as well as individually and personally. And so we, we recognize that there's not a lot of certainty in life. So how do you live with certainty in the midst of uncertain times. How can you live with a sense of surety, a confidence that, man, I can step forward even into the unknown and be certain? Well, we already said that we're going to go look at a letter that one of the apostles, a guy by the name of Peter, wrote to a group of people that were experiencing uh, incredible uncertainty. And I want to read a few verses to you. And, and as we read, I want you to see how Peter, who wrote this letter, didn't focus on what was uncertain and shaky, but he focused on what was certain. And I think today there's a couple of lessons that we can learn from Peter's writings that will help us live with certainty in the midst of uncertainty. And so if you've got your Bible, would you mind turning over to 1 Peter chapter 1? And we're going to read the first nine verses. I know, nine verses. It's crazy, isn't it? But we're going to read this together. And just let the word of God soak into your spirit this morning. This is what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ and and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Man, we sang about that this morning in our last worship song. That's so awesome. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so Lord, this morning, just as we turn to your word, we're asking you, Lord, would you speak to us? Your word is living and it's active. It doesn't return unto your void. It accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And Lord, as these words panned thousands of years ago, Lord, resonate in our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, we pray that by your spirit that you would speak to us today from your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So how do you live with certainty in the midst of uncertain times? Well, this is exactly the group that Peter was writing to. They were facing all kinds of uncertainty. This was a little letter that was written in 62 AD. So it was about 30 years after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead and uh, he had ascended to heaven. And and you know the story if you've read the New Testament that Christianity just takes off and people are getting saved. They're entering into a relationship with Jesus in multitudes and people, and the gospel, this good news, begins to spread throughout the whole uh, empire of Rome. Well, 30 years pass, and and, uh, it's become quite a threat to the Roman Empire, and one of the practices that the emperors, and uh, in this particular time there was an emperor by the name of Claudius, had entered into this practice where he would take Christians, Jews and Gentiles who would converted to Jesus because they were seen as kind of being troublemakers, and he would take them from Rome, where they were, and he would spread them out all over the Roman Empire, And so this particular group of people that Peter is writing to have been actually enforced into migration from Rome to a place called Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor is like modern-day Turkey. It's some 1,300 miles away from Rome. They're moved, and it takes them about three months. Remember, they don't have planes or trains or automobiles, right? It takes them about three months to make this move. It's not a move that they're choosing to make. It's a move that they're being forced to make. And I want you to think about the group that Peter's writing to, forced into exile, forced to emigrate from everything that they knew their business, their relationships, their homes. They're not Roman citizens, and so when they move to this new area, they don't have the rights and the privileges of a Roman citizen. In fact, they don't have the ability to marry whoever they want. They don't have the ability to possess land or property. They don't have the ability to uh, just do do kind of the economy the way they want to. In fact, if they violate a rule or a law, the punishment on them is much more severe than that of a a Roman citizen. And so you can imagine what must it have been like to be one of these early Christians, Moved out of your home, moved out of everything that you know, everything that you're comfortable with, into a place that's brand new to you. Among a people that don't speak the same language that you do, don't share the same ethnicity that you do, that have different cultural practices and religious practices. And so on both sides of this spectrum, this group of early believers moved from Rome over to Asia Minor are experiencing an incredible amount of uncertainty. In fact, not just uncertainty, they're being persecuted. You see, their allegiance was to Jesus and Jesus alone. They didn't worship the Caesar and as a result, there was religious persecution, there was social persecution, there was economic persecution. Can you imagine what it must have been like, the kind of uncertainty that these people must have been experiencing? Well, it's to this group of people, experiencing this kind of uncertainty that Peter Writes this letter. I moved here in 1991. In fact, it was 30 years ago in August that I moved to Portland, Oregon, from a little country called Ireland. Anyone ever heard of Ireland? It's a little little, tiny island. The Irish rule the world, don't we? Everybody wants to be Irish. What's What's that all about? We're just a nice people. But I remember when I moved, you know, I was 18. I was green behind the ears, as they say, you know, I was a novice, I was new. And uh, and here I am with two suitcases. I remember getting off the plane. I had two suitcases 30 years ago, and I'm picked up by a family that I don't know, I've never met before. And can you imagine how awkward it felt, right? And even though I speak English, kind of, um, it uh, it was a new experience for me to come to America to move my life and everything that I knew transformed and changed. And I was actually moving into a friendly environment where people would love me and care for me. But I remember the degree of uncertainty that I felt in my life because everything was new. Is there anybody else in the room that, man, you've moved into that kind of space or place? It's just uncertain. Well, this is exactly what was going on with these people. They're experiencing this high degree of uncertainty. And it might be just as we're even talking about that, that you're maybe identifying and maybe going, man, I feel some of that. Not not that you're experiencing the religious persecution and all those kinds of things, but there, there's just uncertainty in your life. There's a fogginess, there's a cloudiness, there's a, God, where are you in the midst of my circumstance right now? There's friction or a fracture or there's something that doesn't make sense in your world and your life and you just sense this degree of uncertainty. And the question that we're trying to answer is, well, how do we live with this kind of certainty in our life? One of the things that I want us to recognize from the first thing that we recognize from Peter's writings is simply this. Peter was trying to help his readers understand that their present reality wasn't their only or greatest reality how many of you know that, that your lived experience, the challenge that you might face, the uncertainty that you might encounter, isn't your only lived experience, but that, or isn't your only reality, that there is a greater reality at work in each one of our lives, and this is what Peter was trying to help his readers understand. And if we're going to be the kind of people that live with certainty in the midst of uncertain times or uncertainty, we've got to be a people that realize that the reality that we might be experiencing isn't the only reality and perhaps isn't even the greatest reality that you and I could experience in our lives. And this is exactly what Peter was helping, trying to help them understand. So how do we live with certainty in the midst of uncertain times. The first thing is simply this. Number one is that we need to recognize that we are chosen by God. You belong to Jesus. We sang about it this morning, but look what Peter says in the opening verse of chapter one, verse one. He says this, to those who are, and then there's this little phrase, elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, I'm reading it out of the ESV, so that's kind of sound technical and difficult, but this is what it says in the New Living Translation. It says this, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people. And I want you to see something there. If we were to go back to the ESV, it says that they were elect exiles. Those two words are important together. Because the word exiles, obviously, they were forced into migration. They were moved to this place of uncertainty. But before Peter wanted them to to recognize or understand, hey, that you're an exile, that you've been forced into migration, that you've been moved into this uncertain space and place in life and, and in a region, he says this. He says, you're elect. In other words, you belong to someone else. You're chosen by God. And I think it's so important that, that when we face uncertainty, when life doesn't make sense, that you and I ought to understand and we ought to start with the greater reality in our life, which is not our circumstance, it's not our situation, it's the fact that we've been chosen, that we belong to God our Father. Amen? And so the first thing that Peter wants them to understand is that we have been chosen by God. We belong to God. And look what it says in the the verse two. It says that you've been chosen by God, look at this, by the foreknowledge of God the Father. In other words, you're included in God's eternal story. God sees the beginning from the end, right? He's the alpha and the omega. And God sees all of these, everything that goes on in life, and he's chosen you, that you belong to him, that you're a part of something greater, a greater story, a greater reality that's unfolding right before you. But it goes on and it says this, that you've been chosen through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In other words, you don't even go enter into this story in your own strength, you get to go on this journey by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the last thing, it says this, is to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. In other words, all of this is leading to something. And so we don't live in an uncertain, undefined, we can't figure it out kind of circumstance. We live with a greater reality is that we belong to Jesus. That belonging to Jesus, he's included us in his story, in his reality, in his plan, and in his purpose. That changes everything because now it means that I don't get to live my life just in the here and now, but I get to raise my perspective and look to someone else. And this is exactly what Peter picks up on. He says, you have a greater reality in your life. And so my question to you this morning is we consider, how do we live with certainty in the midst of uncertain times? Well, number one, recognize that you're, you belong to Jesus, that there is a greater reality at work in your life. And so my question to you this morning, as you consider your circumstance and your challenges, the things that are going on in your life, the things that maybe kind of lead to fogginess, cloudiness, and uncertainty, are you living with the greater reality as your perspective or your current circumstance? God wants us to live with a greater reality. So number one, how do we live with certainty? Recognize we belong to Jesus. He is our greater reality. But the second thing is is this. Recognize that you have a living hope. Look what it says in verse three. First Peter one, three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Man, I don't know about you, but when we were singing that song, that last worship song, I got so excited because the hope that we have is not a dead hope. It's not a neutral hope. It's not, well, I hope it kind of works out. You and I are born again to what? A living hope. There is power. There is presence. There's concreteness. There's surety. There's certainty in the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And that excites me. That, man, I'm not left of my own devices or left of my own strength. But one of the challenges that we face in the culture in which we live is that in culture, hope equals really wishful thinking, doesn't it? I mean, we're Oregonians, and so actually at this time, you know, we kind of always go, well, I hope it doesn't rain today, right? Now, over the last three months, you know, we're kind of now saying, hey, I hope it rains. Is there anybody else in the room going, man, I hope it rains? (laughs) Give it a week, and then you'll be hoping it doesn't rain, right? That's how we roll. You know, um, I hope that my team wins, you know, um, man, I hope that the, the beavers can at least get a one win this year. Right. Although they did beat the ducks last year. So that was a, yeah, but isn't that how culture really defines hope? It's, it's nothing more than wishful thinking. There's no power in my hoping to affect any kind of change no matter how much I shout at the TV, no matter how much I do spirit fingers at the TV and try to get the kicker to miss, right, so that we can win the game, I'm hoping, I'm hoping against hope that somehow I've got some sort of power to affect some sort of change. This is the best that our culture has to offer us when it comes to hope. And we recognize that that a culture that can only offer us wishful thinking no power to affect any kind of change, that kind of hope doesn't impact or change anything or anyone. In fact, it actually leads to hopelessness. And if you look at our culture, you look at the stats on depression and anxiety and stress and even the stats around suicide, we recognize that the kind of hope that culture has to offer us isn't taking us in the right direction, isn't it? Because that kind of hope only ends up producing hopelessness. It's kind of meaningless because it doesn't have the power to affect any kind of change. But look what the Bible says, or look what Peter said. He says, you've been born again to a living hope. A living hope. And notice how it's connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in culture, hope equals wishful thinking. But in Christ, hope equals a concrete conviction in the character of God demonstrated through Jesus Christ. And this is why Peter says that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You realize that that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, and then ascension to heaven is the fulfillment of a promise that God made way back in the book of Genesis. Right after mankind had fallen and rebelled against God, shaken his fist against God and said, no, we'll do it our way, God. God rushes in and says, there's a rescuer coming. And that rescuer will crush the serpent's head. And so what we recognize is that the greatest promise God ever made was a promise that Jesus Christ fulfilled on the cross and then when he was resurrected from the dead. And so the hope that we have isn't some wishful thinking, isn't some dead hope, isn't some hopeless hope, if I could say it that way, isn't some kind of, well, maybe, depending on how the wind blows, kind of hope. No, no, no. The hope that you and I have is a living hope born of Jesus Christ. It's something that's concrete. It's something that has conviction to it. It's something that's solid. It's something that's unshakable. It's something that's immovable. Look what it says in Psalm 20, verse 17. It says that some trust in chariots, right? But David was saying, no, 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 we trust in the name of the Lord. Why do we trust in the name of the Lord? Because it's concrete, because it's immovable, because it's unshakable, because it provides us certainty in the midst of uncertain times. And so, how is uh, for for Peter, Jesus is your living hope, not your circumstance, not your wasteful thinking, not even how much you pray, how much effort you give, how much Bible reading, how much giving, how much church attendance. All of those things are beautiful and wonderful things that flow out of your relationship with Jesus. But for Peter, your living hope, it's Jesus Christ. And so the question is: if we're, how is Jesus our living hope? And I want to leave you with three three quick thoughts. It's simply this: that Jesus is your living hope, number one, through the work of Jesus. I already said it, that you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know what's so interesting is that Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, About 150 times in the New Testament, he says you are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Don't you think that if Paul was repeating something 150 times, I know parents, you've repeated things to your kids like 150 times, and you're not doing it because you want to annoy them, is that correct? I mean, you do annoy them, right? But but you're repeating it, why? Because it's important. Because I want you to have teeth when you turn 19. So brush your teeth, right? Someday I want you to have a wife or a husband. So brush your hair and take a shower, right? Like these are good practices. You repeat things because it's, you want them to get it. 150 times in the New Testament, Paul says, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ. In fact, it says in Acts 17, 28, that in him, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. But if we're honest, how often do we forget that? I know I do. How often am I shaken? How often do I try to take things into my own control, into my own ability to accomplish something or get something done? When Jesus is saying, hey, trust me, I am your living hope. You can trust me, you can believe in me. Second thing is this, is that that how is Jesus our living hope? Not just through the work of Jesus, what Jesus did for us, but through the presence of Jesus. How Jesus is currently with you. And sometimes in the Christian life, um, and, and by the way, it says this in verse five, it says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Do you notice the present tense? That, that you and I are not left to our own devices. So how often do we encounter Jesus and yes, I give my life to Christ. Okay, now I've got my golden ticket. I can kind of hang on and try to make my way to heaven. Anybody else, right? But that's not what, what faith is. Faith is not a, just a past act that Jesus did for me and that somehow now I've got to white-knuckle it and try to figure it out myself. Faith, me trusting in Jesus, is present and active and goes with me day after day after day. And what Jesus wants us to understand and what Peter wanted his readers to understand is it's not just a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but Jesus is present with you even today. That Jesus wants to empower you, that Jesus wants to give you wisdom. How many verses do you read about how he wants to build your faith to encourage you, to strengthen you, to give you wisdom, to give you grace that's sufficient to meet every one of your needs? But how often we forget and we try in our own strengths, don't we? And and so Jesus is our living hope. Yes, because of the work that was accomplished on the cross. But Jesus is also our living hope because of his presence. But the third thing is this, is that Jesus is a living hope because of the promises of Jesus. Look what it says in verse four. It says that to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. And the reality is this, is that Jesus is faithful to his promises to you, even on your worst day. Think about that. That when we don't feel it, when we're trying in our own strength, when we're struggling, when we're kind of caught up in the uncertainty and the fogginess and the cloudiness of the circumstance that we find ourselves in, God's promises to you are still yes and amen. Look, look what it says in, in verse, or chapter five of the same letter. So at the end of the letter, Peter writes these words, and he says, and then after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace, who has called you to share in his eternal glory in Christ, that's future, will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. And so the promises of God not just maybe someday when I get to heaven, I'll see. But, but Jesus is with you. But Jesus' promises are for you, even today. And in the midst of a circumstance, in the midst of maybe some difficulty, maybe some challenges, maybe some uncertainty that you're facing, God's promises are still true. He's still yes and amen. He's still an ever-present help in time of need. God is with you. The Bible tells us that you are hidden in Christ. That even in the midst of your dark moments, even in the midst of those challenges, even when life doesn't make sense, you have a living hope. And God's care is unchanging. Amen? And so, our challenge is that, that so often, because We're we're bombarded by the pressures, the stresses, the anxieties of life. It doesn't take a lot watching the TV or scrolling through social media to feel the stress level just begin to build and build and build. But it's in moments like these when Jesus reminds us and says, hey, that's not your greater reality. Your greater reality is that I'm your living hope. Your greater reality is that I care for you and I never stop caring for you. That's what gives me hope even when life doesn't make sense. But our challenge is that oftentimes we forget, don't we? And I wanna, so what I'm gonna do is we're gonna finish service by taking communion together. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come and distribute. But it's often true, isn't it, that, that life just gets the, busy, the better of us, that we're busy and crazy and, and, and circumstance can overwhelm us. But Jesus, as he was approaching the cross and approaching the end of his life, he gathered his disciples together and he, they were sharing a meal together and he took some bread and he broke it and he said, hey, this is my body which is broken for you. He then poured some wine into a a cup that was going to be shared with his disciples. And he said, hey, this is my blood, which is poured out as a new covenant, a new agreement, a new relationship that was of God's doing, not of our doing. And then he said these words. He said this, do this in remembrance of me. so if you've got your communion already what I'd love for you to do is just close your eyes just for a moment of privacy a moment just to reflect because I think for all of us in the room we can easily forget life moves fast we can kind of get all caught up in the world in which we live and the uncertainty of the times but Jesus says no, no, no I want you to come back Make me your living hope. And so Lord, as we simply hold this little piece of bread, this little cracker, this cup, filled with some juice, Lord, we realize that this harkens back to something that you did. It's real. And you said to do it in remembrance of you. So Lord, we pause, we stop right now Lord, with all the clutter and the cloudiness, the uncertainty, the anxieties, the stresses, the fears, Lord Jesus, we set them aside and we realize that the greater reality is that you are our living hope. So Lord, we remember and we say thank you. Lord, we just give you that place of honor and priority in our life that Lord, we can be certain because you are a living hope. Let's eat together.